Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, episode 250. Thanks to everyone who's been involved on the production side and to our fans. We really appreciate you sticking around. We have a special announcement in today's episode, but before I get to that, I want to mention we have a giveaway going for the next few days of A Darkling Sea by James L. Cambius. It is a tour book about scientific exploration at the bottom of an alien ocean uh, encountering two alien species. Um, we have three hardbacks to give away, so check out our giveaway on adventuresinsci-fi-publishing.com. We also have a couple of new reviewers on the team, William Ramirez and Ben Arzate. William's more of an epic fantasy guy, and Ben reviews some horror and magical realism. Will actually just reviewed Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. A great review. Definitely worth checking out. As you'll hear, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, we are looking for help on the show. If you are good with websites, with nonfiction editing, um, are good at reviews, let me know. Shoot me an email at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Enjoy the show, folks, and thank you so much for being around. We really appreciate you. It's basically about the business of writing, and they tell you the stuff they wish that someone had told them when they got started as writers. You know, somebody can be a successful marketer and not necessarily provide a quality product. I'm going to let Moses go because he's frothing at the mouth to talk about this one. <laughs> I like writing, I like reading, I like to immerse myself in books. That seems like a pretty good career choice. Domo arigato, Mr. <laughs> oh, you sound terrible. What happened? I'm just kidding. Oh, man. <laughs> and now, constructed on a zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, adventures in sci-fi public sci-fi Thank you for listening to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. I'm your host, Timothy C. Ward. Today is a special episode, 250. So I thought I would get the gang on the show. The gang is here! <laughs> yes, we have Moses and Brent. Say hello, guys. Hey, guys. Hey, everybody. The band's back together. This is nice. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about how it has been so fast since I took over in June. It's been quite a ride, very busy, um, but uh, an awesome privilege. And we have, well, let's see. So I'll take a step back. When I took over, um, you know, I've been a listener for many years. And one of the things I loved was the group chats at the beginning before interviews and I haven't really been able to incorporate that into the show. Uh, one of the reasons I've been pretty focused on reading and podcasting and writing, and so I haven't really been doing a ton of uh, research to do those special kind of shows on publishing. Um, also, I only have a short story published, so my expertise in that area, um, I figured I'd leave that to the pros. Well, um, I was doing a AMA on Reddit and just kind of commented on how busy the show's been get, uh, keeping me. And 
One special individual uh, made a comment about possibly helping me out. And so behind the scenes, we've been working on that to get a new co-host onto the group. So without further ado, we'd like to introduce Michael J. Sullivan. Hi there. Hey, Michael. I, I didn't know I was going to be a co-host. <laughs> well. A co-co-co-co-host. Yes. Are, are you taking over? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to break it to you this way, Tim, but, you know. <laughs> this is Tim's way of handing the show over to you, Michael. You weren't aware of that? <laughs> <laughs> so we thought we'd start off with having Michael kind of introduce his vision for what he would like to bring to the show. And maybe, you know, a brief introduction as well for those who don't know who you are. Okay. Yeah, so I'm Michael J. Sullivan, as I, I've now been dubbed, I think. Some people call me MJS now. I think that's kind of cool. I don't know why, but you know, I guess it brings me up to the upper ranks when people can know you by initials. Um, but uh, So I wrote The Rider Revelations, which came out a couple years ago, and then uh, Fantasy, you know, uh, that's now a trilogy, although it was six books originally. So Yeah, so I've, I've been self-published, and then I was independently published, and now I'm through orbit in new york so that's about as much as you probably need to know about me uh as for the show i've been kind of so far very slowly interviewing some of my writer friends i suppose uh who will be coming on to the show at some point mostly focusing kind of on the publishing side i think is what we've been kind of discussing what people think about publishing and the state of it presently and where they think it might be going the way we're kind of going to format it is Michael's going to produce his own shows. So he we're going to have episodes that come out that are solely produced by him. You know, the three of us uh, old timers will be doing our own interviews like before. Uh, hopefully with Michael doing his own thing and giving me a little bit of a break from uh, producing all the content uh, to give me more editing time to do shows like this where we get together whoever's available and and chat about uh, the industry, news, that sort of thing. So I'm hoping to get more of the original Adventures in Sci-Fi publishing feel back into the show uh, with Michael helping me carry some of the load. Apparently I'm going to be like one of those sort of senior correspondent pieces that you'll throw it off to when you guys get tired of like talking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We just won't put you in any war, zo in any war zones, okay, Michael? Look, as long as it's just green screen, I'm fine. <laughs> but nothing of the latest RoboCop. Have no, you seen, no. Have you guys seen that? Okay. <laughs> we don't want to put you in those situations. <laughs> can you name any of the people that we sh we can look forward to hearing from, Michael? Uh, we'll see. We'd... Let me see. Off the top of my head, I've, I've actually got quite a few of these done, but... Uh... The last person I'm trying to get would be Rachel Aaron, who I have not yet interviewed, but I'm trying to pick her up. Um, she did the Eli Mon Press books, if you're familiar with those. Mm -hmm. um, and like Jingle Wexler, I think we also have one with him. Uh, actually, most of these I've actually recorded already like months ago. <laughs> so I actually have like five or six of them sitting in a can somewhere that I have to get, get over to. I've been there and done that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I I may still be waiting for one from Brent, but uh, yeah, we won't 
tease him too much for that. You should. That that interview is pretty well pickled at this point. It will still be relevant, but uh, in the can is uh, is an exaggeration at this point. <laughs> yeah, so that would be our Jamie Todd Rubin interview from <laughs> from Worldcon 2004, I think. And, right? and if we could mention Jamie Todd Rubin six times in the next 20 minutes, it probably wouldn't be enough to to make amends for that. But Jamie Jamie knows where I've been, so actually, I, I I know Jamie. He lives very close to me. We, oh, does he? Uh, belong to the same writers group that we go to on Wednesday nights. I just did oh, a, a little impromptu panel with him on world building for the little group that we have of like 20 people. So yeah, I know Jamie very well. Yeah, Jamie's an excellent human being and soul. So you can you can let him know I've not forgotten about him, Michael. It'll be oh, coming oh, soon. Don't go that far. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so Brent, you wanted to mention um, about the Indiegogo campaign that you're working on. Yeah, so the and, and Moses has, had asked, I think even before we got on, how I'd been doing, and um, and Jamie knows this as well. It's the the year. Part of the reason for the delay in the interview is I've the years um, had a bit of a rough start, but things are on the mend, and we've got things um, things going. Is that uh, I had respiratory infection for um, the first the whole month of January, and just really got in the mend probably mid February, and about that time. Um, dear friend of mine and, and somebody out, um, uh, somebody that a lot of folks know out in the industry is, uh, Eric T. Reynolds, who's the publisher of Hadley Real Books, um, independent, uh, small, uh, indie press, um, out of Kansas City, uh, who's been around for years and he, he publishes a lot of, uh, of anthologies and original novels, um, been gaining quite a traction as authors uh, of late with Publishers Weekly and, um, you know, a number of the other uh, book lists. And he he was recently, um, beginning of February, uh, suffered pretty significant uh, health issues um, to where his business, while is continuing to, to operate, his authors are really rallying around making sure that the uh, the publishing company keeps running and stays on schedule. Fortunately, Eric had put a pretty good team together of additional editors and what have you. And one of the things I'm doing to help them is I've been putting some of my own writing on hold and helping them um, launch an Indiegogo campaign that uh, folks can expect to see April, May time period um, to help Eric and help the publishing company because Eric's got a, a long a uh, long road ahead of him to to get his health back to where uh, he can really be the driving force of the publishing company again. He's a pretty private guy, so I'm going to leave some of the specifics around what he's dealing with, kind of um, let that come to light probably in the, you know, the next couple months. But that's what I've been working on is helping uh, Julia DeVoren and Kim Vandevoort, who are both authors uh, of Eric's, uh, get this Indiegogo campaign established to help them from a not only a marketing standpoint um but also be able to um which was the primary purpose originally was to help them from a marketing and distribution standpoint uh really get that that indiegogo or kickstarter campaign although i think we're leading the indiegogo uh project in place and again that'll be kind of the april may time uh period and i'll share more as we get uh as we get closer here in the next you know four six eight weeks so, so we're going to hear from you again within four to six to eight weeks? 
Yes. Well, and I say that because the team we've got together, I'm sending notes over to them. And, you know, I think that there's some plans to try and get that done in April. But I think what we're trying to accomplish, most of the work needs to happen before the campaign kicks off. So and anybody that's probably run those successfully and and seen that is you really are locking down some commitments. We want to lock down some significant commitments for incentives. Um, so it could be we're looking at original works being needing to be written um, by folks out in the field. And we've gotten a few commitments thus far to have some original works written as incentives uh, for the campaign. Uh, but that can have a long, somewhat long lead time. And we want to make sure that those commitments are solid. So I'm thinking probably even though uh, some of the folks on the team have kind of that four week time, they're thinking that four week time frame, it's probably going to be two months before some of that hap- really happens. Well, we hope to hear from you sooner than that, but we understand if you're busy with that campaign. Very cool. So Moses, how have you been? I've been hearing some good news on Facebook about the novel. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, Yeah, it's really cool. I think I'm going to have my novel ready for my beta readers slash myself in about a week. (laughs) The the whole thing. And I think it's, it's pretty clean. So I think the editing process shouldn't be very extensive from here. You know, I'll do a number of passes through it to just clean things up i'll fix a few things maybe that my beta readers find you know then get it proofread and and uh you know line edited and and it should be good to go so yeah it's exciting it's so exciting i've been working on this book for like about two and a half years now i had a you know my daughter was born and unlike like see i have a daughter and like my life just took totally changes and things happen tim tim has you know has a kid and it's like oh that's fine i'll just keep doing what i'm doing you know so um it was a it was more of an adjustment for me so i think the the new child coming into, into my life did slow me down a bit uh but i also had some great times with my family hanging out with my kids and i've uh, also made some new friends locally i play magic the gathering now so i actually get out and have fun i have a life although i think i need to like completely quit that so i can just write all the time now but uh <laughs> That's been fun. You're here. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. I did. I did have some fun over the last year too. So, uh, but it's been, you know, I've been chugging along on the book, just real consistent, chugging along, chugging along, and uh, it's finally come together. And I really, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm so excited. I haven't had a, a, a book come out in two and a half years. Michael does has no idea what this is like. You know, <laughs> like this is just like a foreign. You know, this is this is I'm living on Mars to, to this guy. But uh, when you you know publish one novel and then the next one is coming out about two and a half years after, it's there's a lot of anticipation and excitement of like what's it going to be like to get new reviews. You know, what are people going to hate about it? What are they going to love about it? And uh, you know, does does the climax work for people? And is this character going to be popular or annoying? And just you have all these questions you want to know the answers to. So so what's anyway, the, what's the name of the book? Uh, the next one is going to be The Ninth Wind. And is that part of a trilogy? Yes. So uh, I'm writing a new trilogy. Uh, Splendor and Ruin is the name of, of the trilogy. So okay. the, Black o- the Black Gods War, obviously, uh, right. is my, my first novel. It's a standalone novel. And it's a prelude to the new trilogy. So it's The Hobbit to my Lord of the Rings, but, <laughs> r- but written by someone with considerably less talent. And, uh, you know. But it isn't a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It's 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 definitely more adult. The Black Eyes War is an adult standalone fantasy novel. Uh, so yeah, so the new book, The Ninth Wind, is the first book in the new trilogy. So it's kind of cool because people they don't have to have read The Black Eyes War to read The Ninth Wind, or you can. So I'm really stoked that I'm giving people another entryway to my series, and I actually think that the the books are going to be so different that I can recommend them to people uh, based on what those people are like. For example. 
Um, Michael, you, I know from Reddit, you tend to like stories where you get right in with, you know, some central characters and you follow those guys through the story, right? Not so much a multiple, multiple point of view guy. So, uh, for, well, yeah, that's the same thing you just said, isn't it? That I follow like four or five people and go into different point of views, right? No, I mean, like as, as a reader, what I've seen like about the books that you tend to like, uh, is you tend to like the stories where you can just get in and identify with the character and just kind of go through the story versus, you know, a George Martin, which is like a multiple point of view type writer. Some people like multiple points of view and some people really don't. I've learned that on Reddit that there are a lot of readers there. There are some readers on Reddit in the fantasy group who actually seem to say things like, you know, like they, they seem to think for first person is inherently better than third person. This is obviously not what Michael thinks, but it's interesting to see that there are there are people who are like that, who really, really like the strong identification with the character. And then, and there are people who don't like multiple point of view. They don't like third person, you know, for that reason. So, yeah. So I think the new book is going to be one that's stronger for the people who want the character driven story. So I'm starting with three central characters and I really invest a lot in them and their relationships to each other. And like the, the book succeeds or fails based on how strong those three characters pull you through it. Whereas the Black Gods War would be like, and here's this person on this side of the world. And here's this person that they're fighting on the other side of the world. And here's this person. And it would just give you all the sides of a conflict, you know, and, and that works for some people and it doesn't work for some people. So the new entry to the series will be whichever one works for the reader. I'll say, well, you know, what kind of books do you like? And if I get a sense that they're more of that character driven reader, I can recommend the ninth one to them. And if they like, if they like George Martin, I'll say, yeah, read the black odds war. So <laughs> interesting. So do you have them all done or just the first one? I have, well, obviously black odds war is done. And then the first one of the new trilogy is going to be coming out soon. So that'll be the ninth wind. And then there'll be, yeah, and then I have two more planned after that. The one after that is to be titled The Gods Divided, and the last book in the trilogy is tentatively titled The End of the Sun. But I do have those books outlined, very well outlined. I have a really, really nice outline for this trilogy. Like, I spent an entire summer outlining this trilogy. It's really well planned. Do you know what they say? Do you know what they say about that, about the best laid plans? Yes, yes. But I, I will say for book one, I did stay pretty close to the to the outline. I, I outlined the entire three three you know books, and I was able to stay pretty much close to it. Now as to whether or not you know whether or not a piano hits me or not, you know that I can't say. But I think if I do write the books on time, they're going to be pretty close to the outline. I'm just saying that because I'm in the middle of a I'm the third book of a trilogy right now, and I won't release the first two until the last one's done for the very reason that I know that when I get down to those end spots, I'm like going, oh, if I could just have changed that one sentence. <laughs> yes, there is that. There is that. I, mean, uh, I, see, I, I just have to hope that my subconscious puts in all of the little you know, Easter eggs that I'm going to look back to in book three and go, oh, my God, I'm so glad I said that for no reason that I could discern at the time. <laughs> There are people who like, you know, have nightmares of going to school, you know, finding out they're naked or going to work, finding out they're naked. Well, for writers, it's like getting that third book and realizing, oh, if I had just changed that one line, it's like the, the all time nightmare of all writers. And they're doing oh, my serious. God. Oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Oh. Michael. Yeah, so it, it, it's just a, a serious problem. That, that's why I can't stand the idea. Well, of course, I write when I write a trilogy, it's like one big story. And although it's divided into, you know, individual books i still conceive it as one story so i mean it's like could you imagine writing one book and getting a three quarters of the way through it and realizing oh i really need to change something in the beginning but then you can't because it's mm -hmm. already out there and already read it yep and i've just done i don't know how like jk rowling's did it with all of her books like seriously or, or how, how is it that martin's doing it at this point i mean, he's, I mean, I mean he doesn't remember what he wrote in the first books 
Yeah, it's like, but you know, what, what, <laughs> once <laughs> once they're released, I mean, then it's like that's the challenge, though. You go back to what was already said and say, okay, what can I do now that I have this to work off of? You know, there, like, there's been things like that for me. Like I set certain things in the Black Gods War. Like I realized. Like the probably one of the weaker points of the world building of that book is that the world isn't that big. Like the continent that the people I have them on isn't probably as big as it should be. It's like if you put New Hampshire and Vermont together, like that's their continent. <laughs> you know? Like in yeah. terms of like how long it takes to travel across the continent, like I figured it out and I'm like, okay, I'm doing with something the size of New Hampshire and Vermont put together. And I can work with that, but then now I have to work with that. You know, I have to be like, okay, um, I really gotta stick to that. So but that's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of fun too to be like, all right, I I I, I sort of painted myself in that corner a little bit. Um, how do I get out of it? You know, <laughs> you know, you can, you, you know, you you can be the the, the Deus here and uh, come Moses, out of the machine and fix your story. You know. So Moses, you 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 essentially are playing literary twister and saying, "Bring it on." <laughs> right, <laughs> right, absolutely. I'm gonna say, you know. I, I'm going to trust my subconscious to put whatever little Easter eggs in the first book need to be there so that they can make sense by the third book. And I'm and but I did outline the thing for an entire summer, so I know the big payoffs. I know where it's going. I know the big reveals. Well, actually, that's not always true. Sometimes you find new big reveals, but I know some of the big big ones. Um, and so yeah, I, I can just go into that knowing at least I, I outlined it. I can just go boldly forward and just hope that I don't wake up having that nightmare that Michael was talking about. <laughs> Michael, is that the Rune series? Yeah, that was. That's not first Empire series, but yeah, the first okay. book's called them. Yeah. Uh, tentatively speaking, we don't know for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, that's going to be a real problem because uh, I have a sort of a self-imposed deadline of the end of April, and I had a month taken off because of going to New York Comic Con and then going down to Michigan for a. Uh, they had another con down there, confusion. And then I got sick for a week. So I like the whole month was completely blown. And then it, unlike what Moses is talking about, I got to that third book and went, Oh my God, it's not a third book. It's a third and a fourth book. <laughs> and then I said, to my, cause, cause there was a huge time gap. And I'm like, I'm not going to put a huge time gap in the middle of a single novel and just drove me crazy. And, so then I sat for like a week just pondering, trying to figure out how to solve this ridiculous problem. <laughs> and then, then I realized I don't have to, to take it to the end point that I was planning on going to because it, I mean, because if you've read the, the original series, you'll actually kind of be able to um, anticipate where it's going. So that would be kind of reiterating anyway. So anyways, I thought, well, I just take it to the point where it's going to be a really good ending and then I can kind of leave the end off because it really doesn't, it's really not that important. And when I hit that, I'm like, oh, I've got an answer for this whole problem. I can start writing again. So. But yeah, so I've got, uh, what, four or five weeks now to finish this thing up, and it's not going to be fun. Wow. Because I have my wife coming to me saying things like, oh, by the way, I need you to write a short story for an anthology. I also need you to – I mean, she keeps piling up things on my plate. I'm like, really? I have wow. a novel I have to get done in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the blessing and the curse, I guess, huh? <laughs> it's like she she's – amazing at you know doing all those things that she does and finding all those you know all those ways of uh getting your work out there but uh yeah, but, but man you you're, but you're, you're working the it, man. Marks. <laughs> oh that's great she's I, cruel you are lucky to have a cruel <laughs> wife michael <laughs> that's gonna be i'm gonna put that on like my <laughs> that's a tweet 
Yeah, you're lucky to have a cruel wife. <laughs> I love Robin. I've interviewed her many times. And I say that with great love when I call her a cool woman <laughs> based on the whip marks that Michael is telling me about. Uh, but it, yeah, it is, it is great that uh, your, your spouse is able to be so much a part of your journey as a writer and that she deserves a lot of the success too. You know, it's, it's cool that you guys are a team. Yeah. The only thing I do is write books. That's it. I mean, she does, she does, she makes all the good stuff happen. I just, right. I mean, left to myself, I'd be still in my house with my books in my drawer in the attic and, wherever else I can stick them. Right. <laughs> that's such a great, I mean, that's such a great story. It's beautiful. Like you just, you, you love just writing stuff. And then she says, Hey, Michael, you should publish this, right? Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause we ran into uh, Joe Haldeman at one of the, I think it was at the, the nebulous. And, uh, he was, he, he and his wife are the same way. They're much older than I am, but I mean, his wife gay, gay and, and, and and him work exactly the same way. He just kind of like writes and he doesn't really want to be involved in too much, but she handles all this publicity and all of his, you know, uh, business end of stuff. She's like, we were just like the same group, except they were much older. And they, like, we like biking and they like biking. He's like, God, it's like I'm seeing myself only in you know, another decade or two. Wow. But apparently, apparently there's more than one of us out there. Huh. And, my wife and, is, my wife is just really awesome. That's just generally, well, she's just awesome. But she doesn't really, you know, she doesn't crack the whip as far as like, she's not going to plan my social media strategies for me. You know, like she's just not a computer person. She has a hard time figuring out how to plug the computer in. So <laughs> very different, very, very different. But the sweetest, I, I kindest, a, kindest person, you know. Oh, that's great. But I had the one fellow who was a, a aspiring writer one time. And I was trying to help mentor him and he, uh, he was writing and he was having trouble because he didn't have any feedback because no, he wasn't having anyone else read it. And I said, well, you know, your first, probably your first critic should be your wife. I said, if you think she can give you honest feedback. And he says, oh, you mean the harpy from the 13th level of hell? <laughs> she, my wife does beta read my stuff, though. She likes to read it. Um, there is that. <laughs> so, so we're not in that situation, which is good. <laughs> I just love uh, that line. I've, I've quoted him many times from that. <laughs> like, oh, so you have that kind of relationship. Okay. <laughs> what about the rest of you, Brent and Tim? You, Michael, you're inquiring about our spouse's ability to give us honest feedback. Excellent. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good, good, good interpretation, Brent. <laughs> I would say she's very, she's very good at giving me honest feedback on just about everything but my writing. <laughs> so <laughs> that balding's still a problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love Brent. Go ahead, Brent. Oh, I was just gonna say my 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 wife. She, I've slowly been able to get her to read genre, um, and even then, I generally get the very nuanced feedback of. Honey, you know this is the stuff I normally don't read. Right. So everything is qualified with, with that. And yeah, so... I, I've, I've heard that that's that uh, opening as well. Yeah. Yeah. No. In my case, it's always you know like I think the way she tries to you know make me feel good is well I don't really read any of the stuff but I thought your book was really good you know. <laughs> so so where do you get your feedback from? Well, I'll go to forums um, like the one Tim and I, um, we saw each other in real human form in November. 
I went up to, to Iowa for uh, an impromptu small group workshop. So uh-huh. we'll go to small group workshop or even um, I'm a gra- graduate of Viable Paradise. So there's still those of us from my class at Viable Paradise um, that get together offline and and online um, and we'll swap stories and receive feedback from from in those forums. So that's generally where I'll get my feedback. And then even here, there's pretty strong community. Uh, I'm I'm based out of Kansas City, Michael. So the the folks in Lawrence at uh, the University of Kansas, you have Kiz Johnson and those. There's a strong uh, SF and and fantasy community just in in the area there, where um, occasionally we'll we'll exchange stories. Um, or, or excerpts of stories and, and solicit and get feedback. So, yeah. Yeah. It's usually pretty important to get, you know, a number of people reading it because I've, I've noticed that one person reading it is not a good idea <laughs> because you get someone who has a specific, you know, point of view and it just doesn't work for them. And inevitably, if I have three people reading my book, I'll get three completely different views. Yep. And, yep with each other you can kind of see insight from that so uh, i'm yeah. surprised that you isn't part of like a writer's group but any of you you don't really have like a, a regular group that you kind of go to and can submit things to oh i i have a lot of beta readers like i i'm a i'm someone you know some some writers don't like to use beta readers some writers don't like to incorporate feedback from other people like i heard mark lawrence talking on facebook about how like he's had people give feedback to him and he doesn't really change anything you know like he just <laughs> like he doesn't work that way but I had for my first book, I had a, I had so many beta readers, which I thought was great for the reason that you were just mm. sort of talking about, which is that I could see the consensus better when I had like 15 people read the novel. Uh, whereas I realized, yeah, if I just gone with that, the first guy, he was he completely disagreed with everyone else. And I should never listen to that guy's opinion <laughs> because he wasn't clued in to what most readers were clued into. You know, I mean, he had his own idea, but. Yeah. So anyway, I, I like having beta readers because I like the consensus. So just I've just met a lot of writers along the path, like Brent was talking about with uh, Bible Paradise, right? Like I just you know people I met at Autonomy, people I met in you know the Writers Cafe, people I've met here at conferences, or you know just made those contacts where I can just have people who can read my stuff, and it's so great. Like I I, I benefit so much from that. It's just it's an issue when you've got like. Uh... Like, like when I had my books transferred over to Orbit and I would get comments from the editor at Orbit, I was able to say, uh, no, I'm not going to make those changes because actually I already have so many, so much feedback on the books by now. I know what people do and do not like about it. So right. I was, that, that gives you the confidence to be able to say, no, that's not a good idea. You might think that's a good idea, but it's really not. Yeah, and, I've, I've already committed focus groups on, the, on these stories and I know what's going to work. Yeah. Yep. And it isn't yeah. such a matter of, of having someone tell you you should change this about your book. It's more a matter of having people saying, I had a problem with this, because most people can tell you they have a problem with your book, but almost no, never can they tell you what to do about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's usually a situation they- that they can just say, this is a, I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel, they'll, they'll tell you what they think is wrong with it. But as the writer, you, cause like I had uh, the opening of my series, they kept saying that, you know, it's not a good idea. And a lot of people had told me that it wasn't good because it wasn't starting out with one of the main characters. Right. And so my editor said, well, you, what you need to do is tell that story, start the book, but do it from the point of view of your main characters. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work because that's not how I designed it. So I ended up coming up with a different solution, which was adding a section on in front of it. 
using those okay. characters and keeping it the same. So as a writer, you can actually come up with much better solutions. So listening to what people's solutions are isn't great, but listening to what their problems are usually is very beneficial. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that was one of the key tenets from my experience at VP is the author always has the best solution to fix the story. Wow. So it's it's but if people are trying to provide you a solution, that's when you want to go back and clarify and say, OK, what was the. Yeah. As Michael said, what was the actual problem? So, yeah. I, I, oh, go I, ahead, I'm, Moses. I'm sorry to interrupt, Brent. I, I was just it just occurred to me like I um, I think of working with the editors that I worked with on my first book, the people that I, I hired as freelance editors like Joshua Esso uh, was one. Uh, DP Pryor was one, you know, like, yeah, as I go back and think about what I did, like they were able to help me find problem areas um but yeah it's true they didn't they never were able to suggest the solution that you had to come up with to what you needed to fix you know but uh a good editor can be very good at pointing out where those problems are and then you can go okay now i can fix that yeah it's either a good editor or uh, just a good you know reader um, exactly exactly i mean I've, I've had editors who have read the books and they just I don't know, for whatever reason, sometimes they read too quickly and they, they will point out things that they think are wrong, which I had like one person would say, well, right here, this you, you introduce this character, but don't say who they are. And it's the next sentence that describes who they are. I'm like, <laughs> I wonder if the situation where they, they put into Word the comment and then they didn't go back and erase it. <laughs> right. But exactly. That's always bothered me. It's like, wait a minute. Did you really read it? I'm confused. <laughs> they're, so busy, well, they can't, they're so busy they can't hit delete. And Michael, that's an interesting concept in itself around how people critique. I mean, when when you go into a story knowing that you need to critique it versus the mental state versus just going into a story to consume story. And unfortunately, when when you get to be an author, you can't get out of that critique mode. So you end up never being able to enjoy books again for the rest of your life. (laughs) Uh, Which uh, Uh. which I try consciously to, you know. To suspend disbelief for a while, and while I do that, I'll might give the author the benefit of the doubt. With, I mean, even when I go and read for critique, I try and just read through as if I were reading for enjoyment, and then I go back and read through it again with more of a critical eye to avoid those kinds of things that you mentioned um, just a moment ago of saying, okay, <laughs> jumping the gun on this is where I might drop the one sentence about the character description. No. And then seeing it comes one, you know, in the next sentence, is that so far removed that I couldn't be able to read that for enjoyment? And then, and then that would be okay. Uh, and the whole construct of the story. So what helps me a lot with this, Michael is finding writers whose prose I really, really, really like because my critical mind, when I read books now, I tend to go to the level of the prose because that's where I'm focused when I'm writing my own stuff a lot. Yeah. And if I can find writers who the pro- I don't trip over their prose and they, they're very creative writers too. Um, I don't know. Scott Lynch is someone I would say is like that to give you, mm-hmm. you know, an example. I can just get into his prose and just know that I'm in the hands of someone who knows how to write and I can just, relax that critical part of my mind and enjoy the writing and the story at that point. But I don't know, that's just me, but that's been, I think that's how I have to work with that. You know, I just have to find things that are just really written really well. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you, but boy, that's the thing is, is that I noticed that the more I write, the harder it is for me to find something that I can really go, wow, I enjoy this. Yeah. 
most of the time it's like I'm always finding fault because I mean I've trained myself to find fault with everything I write. So right. I can't turn that off when I read other people's writing. It's either the plot, it's the characters. That's true. Those, That's true. Yeah. And I just I, have a hard time I, with that. I can't stop it. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. It, it, you know, it's hard. Like I'm always looking for the perfect novel, and it doesn't exist. You know, like I'm always looking for that novel that has the the character, the plot, the writing, the everything. And like you're saying, Brent, like I don't know, sometimes you kind of have to just turn off that like critical part of your mind and just accept something with its flaws. And it, it is hard. Like, yeah, like you have to remind yourself. But it's cool that you remind yourself to do that. Well, or I'll just focus and embrace on the things that are ingenious about a particular work because knowing that there may may right. not be a perfect well that I, i've had that discussion we had that discussion even at, at bible paradise this notion of a perfect novel is kind of a joke but it's uh, i mean there were certain books that were espoused as being um you know peter beagle's the last unicorn was espoused as being a you know a perfect novel and while it may be um an excellent novel on so and there's a lot of things that are ingenious about it you just need to focus on embracing those things those mm -hmm. things are inventive and new and original as best you can for us you know telling stories for thousands of years it's it's hard from an originality standpoint but that's what i try and do it's like i'm just thinking about one of the things i've really enjoyed of late was brandon sanderson's young adult book the rhythmatist and nice. there were some conventions in that book where they were, you know, they were certainly tropes and there were certain things that Brandon started and you were like, okay, where, where is he going with this? And there were a couple plot holes, but it was like, you know, his, you can always count on him for his magic systems just being excellently, excellently drawn and his protagonist was excellently drawn and he was engaging and, and the mystery was there and there was a lot of the tension that was required. And I'm just, I just wanted to, but he did a lot of things really well in that book that I just, I'm just going to embrace these things and not worry about the, not worry about some of the other, the other uh, problems. And, and now I'm finding myself uh, wanting book two in my hands and it's not here. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So Tim, do we still have Tim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, I, I was going to ask Tim how his writing is going, and so I want to ask him that at some point too. But go ahead, Brent. No, no, no. I just want to make sure we, our fearless leader is still with us, and yeah, and I'm it, I'm in editing critique mode of the podcast, so I'm just uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, as we know, I had a baby uh, December 31st, and um, it's been hard for me to try and adjust to a writing schedule. Um, you know, I, I tried waking up at 4:30, and but then sometimes he would wake up, and my wife would come down and feed him right next to me, and he's so cute that it's like, how can I, uh, you know, I would just stare at him and not get anything done. Yeah, right. Um, Good. Good for you. And so then recently, I found I was trying to write at night, but when I come home from work. Uh, for years, I've been writing at work, and coming home is like reading or podcasting time. And it's really my brain doesn't really have the go get them write fiction. Um, mm. And there, there's also something about writing fiction at night that sometimes makes it more of a well depressing or it's just I don't know I don't really like it very much. But so I found that if I stay at work, I went up to their cafeteria and there's almost nobody there. 
Um, I found this ledge where I could stand and put my laptop so I can do that. Hmm. Um, and for two hours and my goal, my daily word count goal was like 700 words, um, to be ambitious. And now it's 15 to 2000. And it's just because I found a better time and an isolated place for me to, uh, direct my thoughts. Uh, it also helps that I'm daydreaming during the day and taking notes about, the story and plotting and that sort of thing. I'm more of a pantser, and so, but I'm. I think that I'm learning how to be a better plotter than I was before. Um, so I've had a, a good last couple weeks, about um, fourteen thousand words in two weeks, which is really amazing for me. Wow, that's great. I, I have this image of Tim getting up at like four thirty in the morning and going out like in the cold in Iowa. Is Iowa, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And finding that ledge for his laptop, setting his laptop on the ledge, and he's like bundled up in his like coat and his hat, and he's like, I'm going to write 4.30 in the morning. Just stay awake. And it's just, you know, the snow is blowing against your face, and you're just going for it. You're just doing it. And uh, that's just the image that I get when you say that. I just want to share that. <laughs> yes. In Iowa, we have uh, waterproof laptops. and <laughs> Nice. Uh, so we go out in the snow. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. What I suggest going to the Caribbean with that and like doing some scuba writing. Nice, nice. <laughs> that would be awesome. I love scuba. I, I actually lived in Hawaii and I think it's probably an awful place to try to be a writer because, yeah, yeah <laughs> it, I wouldn't recommend it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you have it's, to live in some really awful places to be a writer. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I've, I've come to like winter, you know? It was really hard when I left Hawaii and came to Arizona. I really liked not having winter. It was really cool. Um, but then over time I've come to really love the winter here cause I do get more reading and writing done and stuff like that. So did you say you went, you left o- Hawaii and went to Arizona? Yeah, I live in Prescott, Arizona. So we're 6,300 feet elevation at our house. So we get a lot of snow. I'm say, it doesn't sound like you have winter in either place. No, it's, we get, we get a fair amount of snow in the winter here. Although this winter has been incredibly warm, which is scary cause fire season but yeah so uh i live up in the mountains it, we have we definitely have winter here i have the, the heat on for like seven months at a you know straight and uh you know it's not iowa probably or many other places but it is snowy and the snow will, will hit the ground and it'll be on the ground for you know weeks at a time just because of the shade from the pine trees and things like that so, so you so know let me ask you something what kind of holidays do you have for fire season what kind of holidays do we have for fire season yeah, I mean, because you usually have, like, winter, you have, like, you know, Christmas and stuff. Is there any kind of special holiday for fire season? Well, fire season meaning, like, we're afraid our house is going to burn down. In a yeah, first. I know. I'm, I'm aware of that. Do they have, like, water day or something? Yeah. Well, Take a cup we, of water and dump it on your friend's uh, yeah. front porch. <laughs> we, have, we have chipper days, which is when people gather their brush, their pine needles and things like that, and, uh, you know, branches and whatnot and take them and we all you know put them in the in the wood chipper and and you know collect your pine needles and just try to be fire wise and fire safe and stuff like that so i'm, I'm always fascinated by the the west coast and all the different types of seasons because you have like i mean like there's mudslides in like california and then you have like fire and then you have uh i mean it's yeah. just it's like a whole different world over in that side Exactly. Yeah, my aunt lives um, on the bay in Tom's River, New Jersey, and when Superstorm Sandy hit, her her entire house got flooded, you know, and she had to leave her house for six months, live with a friend. Eventually, she's getting her house rebuilt where they're putting it up on giant stilts, so it's still on the water, but, you know, 
they're putting it, you know, I don't know how many feet in the air, but they're raising the whole thing. So, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a very different thing. Whereas here, where I live, fire is absolutely the thing. And actually, last year was the first time we ever had to evacuate our house because of a pending fire. Yeah, like we never actually had to do that. Like we were on vacation. It's funny you ask about, you know, special things. We were on vacation in San Diego, about six hours away from where we live. And uh, I checked my email and this email said, oh, there's a fire, you know, near our neighborhood. And a friend of mine was house sitting our house at the time. And we had some other friends locally who were on guard in case there was a fire because we went on vacation in like early June, which is like right in the middle of fire season. And uh, and so our friend, our our friends had to come to our house and we had to tell them, "Okay, take this picture off the wall and, you know, put take grab this computer and grab this stuff. And oh, there's my photo album in that third cabinet. And took all of our stuff out of the house, you know, and, uh, luckily we were only out for one night. Uh, some friends of ours had to be out for longer. Um, that you may have heard that, that there was a big news story last year about Prescott, Arizona, the hotshot crew that died. There were 19 guys who died who yeah. were, oh, right, hotshot yeah. crew. it was big. Like, uh, we had, I think Joe Biden came into our area and, and, you know, talked about it and it was a kind of big national tragedy. Well, those were the guys who saved some of my friends' houses about two or, two or three weeks before they died in that fire. Like those guys were protecting one of our good friends' houses and they did. Like they saved an entire neighborhood in in my town probably. And um but you know then they you know there was the tragic uh, death and um anyway that's a whole other story but so yeah fire season is uh is a whole different thing over here and and uh it's it's it is getting scary because the weather is was really warm this winter and who knows what's going on with the climate right so it's kind of sure have everything packed up and ready to go yeah in in the summer we have those boxes ready you know of certain things but then we found once we were really evacuating like yeah we had those boxes of the things you must take but then when your friends take the stuff off the walls for you like you think about every other thing that you want to keep in your house and it's interesting you need to have like a, a fireproof basement or something right <laughs> Uh, that might work. Uh, I don't know. Part of our basement is cement, actually, like the rounded um, cinder blocks and such. But I'm, I'm picturing because Moses does his uh, narration writing. I'm picturing him running from a fire, like doing the action scene as he's running away from it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, that's how I write now. I walk around my neighborhood, which is, you know, most most of the time it's really sunny, pine trees, mountains, mountain views, and stuff like that. And I that's how I write my books now. I just write right into my digital recorder, and my dog just runs around and barks at squirrels. You know, it's it's a good time. You're supposed to be in a closet, punching away on a keyboard that doesn't work very well. When, you guys aren't real writers. Come on. <laughs> you, you know what I really involved. You know what I really is like Kevin J. Anderson, right? Like, of course, he he dictates when he writes his stuff. But I mean, this guy literally, like, you've seen his photos on Facebook and such, right? He's literally hiking the highest mountains in like Colorado and Utah and like all these exotic, you know, places in Colorado and Utah. And uh, like, the guy's got to be in really good shape to be. I don't know. You know, he, he's however. I don't know how old he is exactly, but he's been writing at an insane pace for God knows how many years. He's got to be like really physically fit because he he's always hiking when he writes you know and it's probably smart it's probably good for the writer to have that you know i want to get a little more physical discipline i think with my body i get back to like i gotta do my sit-ups every day you know and i gotta do my push-ups every day and i gotta get out for a walk every day and just thinking that'll help my writing long term to be really mentally health physically healthy i agree with you but boy you're you're so new age you got to get back to being you know pot-bellied with the (laughs) fifth of you know whiskey in your bottom drawer and now see now see i mean and coffee Okay, now now George Martin, not not the thinnest guy. Let's all admit, right? How how long how long does it take him to write a novel? 
You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be that. I'm sorry. I don't, you know, never, and, never mind that, never mind that his novels are as thick as the cinder blocks that you use in your basement, but right, right. Yeah, you've just been put on the list there, Moses. I think you're going to be killed off in the next one. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Could you imagine being Stephen Hawking's and having to write novels? Wow, dead silence. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I'm very I mean, thankful he, for my working wrist. That would be yes. hard to write a novel. Yes. You don't want to. You don't want to have to backspace too much, or no. you want to plot it out because you don't want to go into a dead end. <laughs> Wow, yeah, just when, silence. Boy, I just shut you all up, didn't I? <laughs> well, that's some serious stuff. Yeah. Wow, so I'm going to jump off that track here for a second. <laughs> Thank uh, you. So, um, Michael, I've, I've been seeing you've got some posts about uh, Hollow World. Um, is that coming out in April? Yeah, that'll come out, uh, I think it's like April 15th or something. Do you have some any news for fans about that? As I, I've seen a few giveaways, I think. Yeah, there, there, we have the little deal going with that book such that if you buy the print you'll get an ebook free because I was trying to support the idea that you shouldn't have to pay for multiple versions of the book after you've already bought the book you should be able to have it you know DRM free kind of deal and that was what we we're kind of promoting with that one so there was some deals going on with that and that's buying it print through tachyon yeah which also makes tachyon happy that you know because that's a print-only deal through Tachyon, so they would like to have it so that people would be more prone to buy the print book. <laughs> because if you get a print book, you get an ebook free. So that that helps them out a little bit, as opposed to you know a lot of people dumping directly into the ebook. Because we do want to we do want to you know be supportive of Tachyon because they've been very good by us, and, and I've been very pleased. And I'm trying to promote and encourage that kind of behavior in publishers. Mm-hmm. So they named you the. Uh... What was it? The Fantasy King or something, Michael? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Are you talking about the Forbes article? I think, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, the yeah, I don't know where that that little tagline came from. Do do we need uh, to get like a some kind of a horn or something to play every time you're announced? Uh, <laughs> the king? No, no, you just you just you just have to pay tribute to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> you just got that one. That no, was... no, I'm I'm visualizing all the different tributes without offending everybody by mentioning them. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that was uh, I think we were contacted from Forbes for information concerning Goodreads, and um, they ended up actually interviewing me for that piece, and that just came out. And I don't know why he came up with the King of Fantasy thing. Uh, but I was fascinated in that thing. Uh, it's weird that when you find things out secondhand, because I didn't realize until I actually read the article that that uh, the author of the article had actually contacted the, the person who runs Goodreads. And uh, when they did, they asked them about, you know, um, people who know how to use Goodreads well. And he said, you know, immediately my name popped in the forefront of his mind as someone who can do it well. I'm like, going, seriously? I didn't even think that he knew my name, much less thought that I was doing well. I mean, it's just weird things like that you never re- realize until usually you're dead that these things have occurred. And I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to do a comic book for my local newspaper. And I did it for like uh, two years. 
And everyone on the journalist staff hated it because they thought it was ridiculous and trite. And why are you ruining our wonderful high school newspaper with this comic strip? <laughs> and so, I mean, I kept getting all kinds of flack over it. So finally, I discontinued it and I, I killed it off because it seemed like no one wanted it. And it wasn't until after I stopped it that I kept running all these people going, why did you stop it? It was great. I loved it. It's the only reason I bought the newspaper. And I'm like, well, where were you when I was, you know, <laughs> making the thing? But I found that over, you know, over the course of my life, that happens over and over again where you never – People who tend to like it generally don't say much. It's the people who don't like what you're doing you hear the most of. And it's always nice to find out inadvertently that there's someone out there who appreciates you. And you, you're like, oh, really? I had no idea. And they think, what do you mean you had no idea? Of course you must know this. But no, no, honestly, I have no clue. News so, such um, as that comes slow so, to where I live. So, Michael, I just, uh, I just pulled up the branding article from Forbes. So is, it, is this the one that was just yeah. like four days ago? Yeah. Okay. Because I see, I, I just did like, you know, the control F to find the first mention of you here. Can I read some of this out loud? I, I guess. Is it going to be flattering or insulting? I believe it is flattering. About, oh, yeah. okay. about the king of fantasy? It's probably flattering. I don't, I don't see. Let's see. Maybe it was uh, sarcastic. Who knows? <laughs> all right. Let's see. And the fantasy king. All right. I, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if he calls him the fantasy king. Let's see. Let's read this here. Um, okay, right. Goodreads doesn't mirror the world of bookscan sales or Amazon reviews. Most authors who sell in appreciable numbers in the physical world or on Amazon have a presence on Goodreads, whether they manage it or not. But there are outliers whose Goodreads impact dwarfs their real-world book sales. And some of these become significant authors because of Goodreads. When I asked Brown to cite one of the most effective authors on Goodreads, he named fantasy author Michael J. Sullivan without hesitation. Sullivan is one of those writers who'd written a closet full of books before he was first published. He moved from publishing in a small press to self-publishing and then traditionally publishing with, is it Hachet? Hachet. Hachet? Okay, I don't know how to say that. Starting in 2011, he sold 475,000 books in English and has been translated into 16 other languages. Sullivan's told me that he engaged with Goodreads as a reader first rather than an author. He set aside an hour a day to engage on the site. Goodreads was 80% of our success early on. Sullivan, uh, that's, that was a quote, quote, Goodreads was 80% of our success early on. Sullivan joined multiple fantasy groups and avidly read and discussed the work of other authors. While he listed his own books in his signature, he was careful not to push them as a community member, but he built a solid base of friends on the network, and these friends helped him grow as he published new books. He had three specific suggestions for using Goodreads, and I could exp uh, give like the full detail on each one, but it's basically run a giveaway build a list, and participate in the community. And there is like a paragraph on each one if you read the Forbes article. Cool, and, cool. And can you, can you do like readings for me when I need to stand up and read in public? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you like read that cold very well. I appreciate that. I have thought about doing narration. I thought it would be fun to do that. Yeah, I just, uh, one of the things I did for Hollow World was I actually, we picked the, uh, the narrator and we went to New York to record books where we, we, we actually got to sit in and kind of direct it a little bit. And that, that was very fun. That was, that was kind of a good time to actually have them read it and go, wait, wait, no, no, put the emphasis on the other word. And it, was, it was just, that was a pretty cool experience. It's one of the things you don't ever think you're going to end up doing when you're writing. Oh, wow. That is neat. I, I, I can, you know, take that one step further to being George R. R. Martin, the incredibly successful awesome author, uh, to, you know, go back to my previous statement where I was making fun of him. But, um, oh, you're still dead, Moses. Okay, okay. It's too late for that. <laughs> um, you know where he's just, you know, sitting on the, you know, the, uh, you know, he's in uh, Morocco or something for Game of Thrones. Where do they film Game of Thrones? It's there's somewhere I think in uh, northern Africa that they used. But you know, he's... New Zealand for everything. <laughs> 
chilling out on, on the movie set of your, you know, your yeah. story come to life up for HBO. Like that's gotta be this surreal. Is, this surreal. is what the rest of us people, you know, the mortals do is that, uh, I'm the best I could think I could ever get right. is actually sitting in on the narration of your book, which is kind of like, you know, the, the poor man's, you know, movie deal. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're stepping stones, you know, this is a first okay. step. Next up, you're sitting there on the movie set. But yeah. When you, listen to the narrated version of your book. It's like, Oh, this is kind of like a movie almost. They could almost picture it in your head. <laughs> it's like, so that, you know, that would be fun. Although there's always the concern that they're going to do a terrible job of it in, in the movie form. Yeah, Cause you have absolutely no control of that. <laughs> and that right. the book and the movie are like twins that are separated at birth and you have no control over it whatsoever. It could be anything. And it's interesting because I actually was contacted not too long ago by uh, a fella who, uh, who would, Tells me he's a producer at one of the studios, I think Legendary or, or one of one of the major studios out there. And he was saying that, are the rights available? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why are you asking? Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Because I mean, I've had a Hollywood agent shopping around for like two years and they get absolutely nothing. So, and people will write back, has anyone ever thought about making a movie? Listen, like, yeah, you know, from your mouth to God's ears. I, <laughs> it's not kind of, huh. it's not something I'm waiting on. So I'm surprised you haven't sold any like film options. I've never even been approached for film options. So, interesting, yeah. interesting. Because you're in, you're in how many languages now? Sixteen. Yeah. So I mean, your books are out there, and you, you guys have done well internationally. Or like, where do you do well internationally? Uh, actually, I'm not totally certain because the the royalty statements don't come back very easily from Europe. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, mostly with those, it's it's the initial royalty or the initial. Uh, you know, the initial purchase that, that gives you the advance that gives you most of it. Uh, some of them have sold out, but I, I still have trouble getting royalty statements from overseas. So I don't know how well I'm doing over there. Interesting. But, but the real reason is, I mean, my books are not that popular. They're not New York Times bestsellers. They're not. I mean, I, this is a weird thing to get, but I often get email from fans saying, I loved your books. They're fantastic. But please, please, you have to get more people to read them because they have no one to talk to about them. <laughs> it's like, really? Uh, like, what are, what are your sales like for your novels so far? Uh, I've sold about almost half a million. Pretty good. Yeah, I'm not going to complain, but I mean, it's just right. It's, it's just weird that most people, you know, they they know about you know, the certain authors. I actually have a theory that it's like if you're out for five years is when you start actually becoming known. Hmm. That you know, it's that like Brandon Sanderson and stuff. That they after about five years, you really started hitting. Of course, he also had a, a benefit of, of the, the Jordan pickup, which actually helped him quite a bit. But, I mean, there's certain authors, even Scott Lynch, and after a certain period of time, you start really getting to notice them. So, I don't know, maybe I haven't got to that point yet, or maybe my books just aren't good enough to pick up that kind of uh, audience. But the reality is, is that I, I'm just not the kind I – don't, I don't provide an, an established fan base that a Hollywood uh, movie company could come along and say, hey – Look, if we make a movie out of this, we're going to make at least these many immediate sales and then hopefully more. I'm just not that large. So I, I think that's probably a lot of the reason why uh, they're not jumping on it if it were something that they wanted. But the other possibility is that they just, you know, don't know it exists. We need to get like a street campaign where we tag random things, MJS, and just, you know, make them ask, <laughs> what is MJS? And be like, we <laughs> need to find out. Nice. So, there you go. So is that your strategy, Moses? You're going to write one book and then wait five years and then write your second book when you have an established fan base? <laughs> right, and wait for the five-year mark. And then pow, you know, just, hey, just drop it on Patrick it. Hey, it for Patrick Rothfuss. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, two and a half years between book one and book two is what it's looking like. Uh, actually, slightly more than that. And uh, I, I, re- I sincerely hope that will never happen again. You know, so n- now that I, now, now that I dictate, like I go from writing, like when I write, like sitting at a computer, I can write. Depending on if I'm writing dialogue or not, if it's a dialogue scene, I tend to write faster. But it wouldn't be unusual for me to walk away with 250 words an hour if I'm writing a non a non dialogue scene when I'm sitting at a computer typing. But if I go out and dictate, I, I can come back with 3,000 words in an hour without too much effort. And it's now what I just realized is it, it, I, at first I try to type it out, but my wrist I start having wrist problems, so it was it was hard. So I finally found a service, someone who can type that stuff out for me. And now I can realistically write the stuff much more quickly, have it, you know, trans, uh, uh, do the transcription, have people, you know, transcribe it for me. And I finally found people who can, you know, capture the story well. I sent them my list of my, you know, uh, nouns from my fantasy world that are going to be unique. And so they, they actually get a lot of the stuff right. They spell things correctly. They capitalize the right words. And I can just go right to it and just edit. And I feel like the stuff coming out of me with the dictation is a lot better than I would have thought. It just it reads a lot cleaner on the page than I would have thought. So I find it's not needing that much editing. Knock on wood. And um, so yeah, now I'm, I'm excited to to actually have some technology that makes me think maybe I could write two novels a year or whatever I need to be doing. You know, I, I really have been wanting to write two novels a year for a long time. I feel like that's where I need to be as a starting step to hopefully something better. So yeah, but you're not writing full time, are you? Not full time, but I would be happy to. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just saying that it, it's pretty hard to write. Uh, that much when you have a day job well i i am a lot of times i do focus mostly on writing like if i'm really trying to give it a go like i'll put aside my other work for a while and basically you know write full time for for stretches of time like not necessarily all the time but uh your modeling work (laughs) right yeah and (laughs) a lot of male male modeling and so You know, but that's also good because then I have to get out and get the sun on my face because you got to have a nice tan. And, you know, so the dictation works with the male modeling career because it keeps me healthy and fit and I eat a lot of fiber. So uh, it's good. Um, Or as Bob from Louisiana says, just being the most interesting man in the world. Right, Moses? Something. I mean, you know, Bob from Louisiana, you know, thank you, Bob. You know, thank you. You know, the little people, you know, thank you. Yes. Are you familiar with uh, National Novel Writing Month? That's how I got started. Okay, so you do know about it. Um, but I've always found it fascinating because like, people will say, are you going to do that to me? And I'm like, it's really not fair because that's my day job. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you have to get a few hours after work each night and struggle to get you know, your, your allotted amount each night. But I mean, that's what I do all day. I mean, that, so yeah, I have a hugely unfair advantage for, you know, so it was like, it, there's a huge difference between someone who has a day job and who is trying to put out the same type of output as a person who is doing this, you know, all day. Right. And, and this is their only responsibility. So I mean, yeah, you can be a lot more flexible and you can put out a lot more word count. So it, I mean, it's really, really hard to do it with a day job. And so, I mean, I just, my heart goes out to you that you can actually try and even think of doing two, books a year when you have to also have a lot of, I mean, you're a father and you have, you have young kids, you have, you know, a day job that you're having to deal with. Plus you're having to, you know, publicize your work. Plus you have to do your own editing. I'm assuming a lot of, and I mean, you, and you're running your own beta readers. I mean, you have a lot on your plate. Plus you do a, you know, a day's job that that's, that's gotta be hard. Yeah, it is. It is. But I'm just, I'm always hoping, you know, I feel like, um, 
you have those times in your life where you just feel like the universe just kind of whacks you upside the head with a cyclone and knocks you off course for a little while because you're not ready for something. Or just one of the, fire. What's that? Or in your case, forest fires. Yeah. Well, right. Like last year was like that. Like I was, I was charging ahead. I was charging ahead as fast as, as I've ever been charging ahead. It was great. I was just so on fire, making great progress. And I got this flu that knocked me out for three weeks. I couldn't write because I felt so bad. And by the time I got over that flu, I never regained that momentum. And it was the universe kind of just whacking me and saying, okay, just sit for a year, hang out with your kids, and we'll see what happens later, you know? And so right now I feel like maybe it's getting to that point where, okay, maybe, ne- maybe this is, you know, now it's time. So, um, but I think the dictation and having people, you know, transcribe it for me gives me the option to be able to consider that I could write two novels in a year. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tricky trying to balance all this stuff, but, uh, it's, it's the dream, you know, and, and I'm, I'm pursuing it. So I'm, I, you definitely gotta give your dream your best shot. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of my regrets is that I actually stopped. Although I don't know if that actually contributed to my being more successful or not, but yeah, I mean, I, I just gave up for a little over a decade just because there was, it seemed impossible. Hmm. So there's no sense in continuing with it. I'm just, you know, like I, I've often said it's like being, you know, Linus in the pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin to come and it never did. I'm like, I'm just wasting <laughs> my time. And everyone else yeah. I know is ahead and they're, you know, they're managers, they're professors, they're doctors and lawyers. And I'm right where I was when I graduated high school. It's like, yeah, this is not good. And I should probably do something with my life before it ends. And, but then maybe it was that hiatus that I needed to kind of like, find my voice and then it worked out once i realized i wasn't going to be a great author i stopped trying to be a great author and i became a good author (laughs) (laughs) i just started writing what i wanted to write as opposed to what i thought i was supposed to write and that makes a big difference interesting yeah that's really cool before we go michael i don't know if you want to give us a date as far as when you would like to have something ready or if you if you don't have one yet that at all okay (laughs) I don't like deadlines. Okay. Don't you know me? <laughs> yes. Robin just uh, sent me a message, said we need to give you another deadline. So that's why. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> evil, evil man. Okay. Well, whenever it happens, we're excited to have Michael on the show. Actually, to, to let you know, I'm sure that uh, Robin's probably going to edit the interview. So she's probably going to be the one you're going to interface with as to when you're getting them. So okay. she's dealing with taxes at the moment, and because I'm self-employed, that's kind of a headache. So when she gets done with those, she'll probably jump on the interviews and edit those up for you. Okay. All right, and, cool. And, and we can just send those to you, and you'll be happy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it sounds like you'll likely be really negotiating Michael's deadlines with Robin then, too, Tim. So Most people do, yes. <laughs> I'm kept locked in a little room, and she does all this stuff. And it's like people don't even think I really exist. I'm just a voice that she imitates. (laughs) You're the wizard. Yes, that's right. I'm behind. Yeah, she's behind the curtain. I'm the big head. (laughs) You're the big head. (laughs) Okay, guys. Well, it's been great to uh, get back together. Hopefully, it won't be uh, 50 episodes uh, before our next uh, hangout. and we look forward to Michael's contributions as well. Yes, I hope I will be able to measure up to the greatness that has come before. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Michael. I, I know this is our first chance to interface so and, and chat a bit. I'll look forward to, to doing it here on the show. And uh, if we can catch up at a con or something, I'll, I'll certainly look forward to 
to chatting and getting to know you better. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, it is really cool to have you on the show, Michael. Thank you for being on. Uh, it's just neat. It's really neat. So it's really great that you, you're uh, getting involved. I have to do something. I got to get well known here. Got to get that movie deal. <laughs> got to yeah. soak that five years. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're just priming that five year pump here and then you're just going <laughs> to explode everywhere. <laughs> All I know is that I was watching a, a report with Brandon Sanderson where he called out in his class uh, Moses Siregard's novel. Did you know that? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, that that was pretty cool. I'm like, seriously, dude, great call out. Yeah, that was that was really sweet. Yeah, he, uh, I met him at the Superstars writing seminars, and uh, he looked over my first chapter the first time uh, I met him at that seminar and gave me some feedback. And I had just been in touch with him ever since then about indie stuff. And so I was always the guy. I was always the first experiment out of the Superstars writing seminars. You know, the first guy who just was there from the beginning who said, I really think this indie thing is a good idea. Like, it seems like there's an opportunity here, you know? And so he was always interested in what I was doing because he was, he's very smart. He watches what everyone is doing. So he knows what he needs to do and he's, he finds good things to do. Right. So, uh, you know, he was kind of keeping his eye on me a little bit and, uh, uh, but he's just a very sweet guy too. Like I really, it's been nice to hang out with him, interview him just, um, so yeah, that was, he's a little insane on the, on his word count though. His output is insane, and it's yeah. I, I, I was at a conference with him. I'm like, yeah. you want to go out and do something? He's no, I got to go back and write. I'm like, dude, you just wrote. <laughs> he's wow. like, he's not on a conference. He's in his room writing. It's, it's just yeah. He is a machine, man. Like yes. yeah, like like you, you yeah. I, yeah, I hang out with him, and I feel like I'm hanging out with a top dog in some field, like you know, like the highest level of Hollywood or something. Like he's he's just a professional, man. He he's just on his game. Yeah, he doesn't believe in drinking either. It's it's crazy. <laughs> all right folks um thanks for listening and we'll be back with more shortly visit adventures in sci-fi publishing for show notes links reviews special guests videos and more email us at adventures in sci-fi publishing at gmail.com sound effects from the free sounds project music by asymmetry found at musically.com no authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast.